Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Conservative government knew of rumors surrounding Jonathan Vance weeks before he was appointed Chief of the Defence Staff. I watched the uh, the interview that Major Brennan gave some weeks ago, which is obviously deeply, deeply disturbing. And you know, I think it's I think it's clear that she made extremely serious allegations. And if they are true, and I have no reason to doubt her, that means the general was not truthful with the Prime Minister in their meeting in March of 2015. Sanctions against China over the treatment of ethnic minorities. Canada, the European Union, the United Kingdom and the United States imposed sanctions in response to the repression of Uyghurs and other ethnic minorities in Xinjiang. These measures reflect our grave concern with the gross and systematic human rights abuses taking place in the region. And the Liberals take aim at the Conservatives over climate change. This past weekend, the deputy leader opposite's party once again rejected science and reaffirmed its disbelief in the reality of climate change. I know it is discouraging to many Canadians that a major political party in this country will not acknowledge this basic scientific fact and the threat it poses to future generations. It's Tuesday, March 23rd. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. Susan, thank you for joining us. And good morning, Mark. Let's talk about who knew what and when and what we're learning about that with regard to allegations of sexual misconduct by the former chief of the defense staff, Jonathan Vance, because... We've we've had new testimony in the last 24 hours, and uh, it seems to suggest that people in the last two prime minister's offices uh, knew uh, more than perhaps we thought they did. Yeah, this, this was a very interesting development yesterday. First of all, just to see Ray Novak, um, Harper's longtime assistant, actually speaking. Uh, we don't normally get to to see former or current staffers uh, that close to the top speaking. so Especially from uh, the Harper era, right? Uh, when it was, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was in itself interesting to see that, yes, um, these allegations about General Vance had been swirling around even as the Harper government was in the process of making him chief of defense staff. Uh, the, the, the testimony changes the game a little bit, in my view, because we've had two things going on here in the in in this cascading series of of uh, reports about trouble in the military. There's a political story: is did the politicians do as much as they should have to deal with it? which has been the dominant story for about the last three or four weeks, especially in question period. And then there's the story, which I think is probably the more important one, about what is going on inside the military. Right. Never mind the politics. What is happening there that it has come to this? Um, and I think that yesterday's testimony will shift the, the conversation away from did the politicians know enough about it, because now it's it's a problem for both parties, the opposition and the government, is that it seems that successive governments have failed to deal with this. Um, for the Liberals, this is a problem because they, are, they have held themselves up as the most feminist-friendly government in the history of Canada, and this was happening on their watch. 
For the Conservatives, this isn't good news either, though. I was just checking the dates of when these meetings that Ray Novak, or the one in particular that he's talking about, happened. Remember the climate in Canada around the late 2014, early 2015, when this meeting took place? We had had the Giangameshi trial. We had had a big Me Too movement in in Canadian politics. Lots of people talking about politics and the military and and the RCMP and, and other institutions being unfriendly, even hostile to women. So it is sort of a pox on both their houses now that, that mm. uh, there's no reason for either government or either political party to have turned a blind eye or, or been cavalier about these allegations. So um, I think you're not going to see, and we saw it in question period yesterday, you're not going to see the Conservatives asking as many political questions about this. And I think the focus should be and will be now on on the military and right. and the blind eye turned inside that culture there something bad is happening there something really bad is happening there and it's interesting that we've gone through two waves of a me too movement here in Canada one in 2014 one in 2017 when the the worldwide me too movement was going on and it's taken till now for anybody to sort of shake this loose from the military yeah, that is interesting, and you're right, the, the attention should shift uh, to the more important issue of the culture in the Canadian military, so uh, we'll see how that plays out in the days ahead. Let's talk about Canada's relationship with China as it stands at the moment. Of course, uh, there have been these secret trials for Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. Now Canada has joined other countries in sanctions against China for the treatment of the Uyghurs. Uh, the Canadian ambassador has been brought home for high-level talks as those sanctions take effect. Uh, so bring us up to date on what's happening here on all those fronts. I think what we're seeing is an escalation, uh, you know, and it, it's it's all over the place, as you point out, that uh, Canada has been quietly trying to handle this, believing that diplomacy, you know, quiet diplomacy and and... Uh, work behind the scenes was going to fix this. This may be the product of all of these days and months and years of of working behind the scenes that now it's going public. You're seeing um, the Foreign Affairs Minister Garneau telling Canadians that they're at risk of being arbitrarily detained if they work in China. This is something that you wouldn't have even heard two months ago. I, heard yeah, I think that's an Prime important Minister. point because this is yeah. a this is a government and 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 it's not the only Canadian government in the last twenty or thirty years, but this is a government that has been uh, has been active in promoting business in China, right? Definitely, yes. Who can forget John Kretchen's um, Team Canada trips to yeah. to China, and and even the Harper government came around and uh, and did trade deals as uh, they are reminded. Um, so, yes, you are seeing an escalation here. That has to do with the fact that China is not the same China that previous governments, or even this government, started dealing with, that it it has become progressively authoritarian. That's not an oxymoron. Mm. Um, and uh, the, the, the other big thing that's happened is that Joe Biden is now in the White House. And we saw last week there was a summit 
between the U.S. and China, which was not very friendly, um, that Justin Trudeau using the words last week, trumped up charges, reminded us of the president who's gone and the fact that Canada has landed in the middle of this dispute with Meng Wanzhou and uh, because of Trump's uh, war on China. So I, I think we, we've got a different situation, and I don't think we can ignore the fact that it does have to do with the arrival of the Biden administration, which seems to be way more willing than Trump was to call China out. And, uh, you know, the presence of U.S. ambassadors outside the trials, uh, the, uh, Trudeau made special mention of that last week. Uh, the fact that, that the United States is joining these international calls for sanctions and, and the, the, the sanctions that were announced yesterday, too. All of it, I think, adds up to an escalation. What it will yield... I don't know. Like, I, hmm. I I don't think anybody really knows. But but the change in tone is remarkable from even a month ago that, yeah. uh, that Canada is now so willing to speak out against China. And China is reacting, as I read the morning news, uh, not well to this, too. It's saying that Canada has its own problems with racial discrimination and, uh, and is raising the boil water advisories and and residential schools. So, right. you know, the, uh, the the war of words continues. But meanwhile, these two Michaels are sitting there in embarrassing kangaroo court trials, as they were called yesterday, rightly, hmm. um, in the House of Commons. All right, finally, uh, Aaron O'Toole, the Conservative leader, is saying he'll have a climate plan before the next election, but he's taking some hits from the Liberals and others for the fact that while he has talked about change and uh, that climate change is real, change for his party and and the idea that climate change is real, uh, his party didn't support a motion that said that uh, on the weekend. Uh, so that's is that turning into a, an albatross for Aaron O'Toole? Yeah, I think all of us who were watching the convention on Saturday, instead of enjoying, enjoying the nice weather, uh, saw that moment as one that was going to come back to haunt Aaron O'Toole. You know, the uh, within minutes of that policy resolution, uh, which said the, the Conservatives declined an attempt to put in their policy resolution the phrase climate change is real. That... that um, as soon as that landed, I watched liberal cabinet ministers, liberals all over the country going on Twitter. That continued yesterday. It told me a couple of things, that the liberals are going to do their best to turn the next election into a referendum on climate change, because they clearly were enjoying this yesterday in the House of Commons. Every question was turned into a question about climate change. Uh, and Aaron O'Toole now is forced... It, it, he he probably was at work on it already, one assumes, uh, a, a serious climate change plan. He has acknowledged the fact that the party has not had a climate change plan for the last two elections, means that has, has cost it in, in areas where they need to grow. Things were going very well for him at the convention in saying that the, the party has to reach out. So, again, we have, you know, a, another... It's a political problem and a culture problem to loop back to where we started. Uh, Aaron O'Toole has a, a problem inside his own party, which is delighting his rivals, in that 
he's leading them to a place where he's not sure that he can have them follow. Mm. And there's the substance of climate change, too. There's the, the right. actual issue, and voters are getting discriminating on it and, and want something. I think all the other parties are going to have a plan. There's going to be a lot of talk in Canada about what this pandemic has done to sharpen people's awareness of global threats and, uh, and things that, uh, yeah. that nature can do to you. So I think um, the next election may focus a lot on pandemic recovery whenever the next election comes. But what happened this weekend is going to be reverberating in many ways over the coming weeks and months because it points to a problem with the Conservatives and a problem with O'Toole's leadership. All right. We'll see what happens. Susan, thank you very much for joining us today. Ah, thanks for having me. That's Susan Delacourt, columnist for the Toronto Star. We still have numbers and concerns about those as we watch to see how we're doing in this third wave thus far. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, André Picard argues the third wave may prove to be the most challenging one yet. Picard writes, The third wave was, more than its forebears, the preventable wave. To a certain extent, it still is. After all, we have a whole year of COVID-19 experience. We know unequivocally how to keep cases down, swift, decisive action, and patience. And this time around, we have an ace up our sleeves, vaccines. But vaccines need time to work. And time and time again, we have shown ourselves to be self-destructively impatient. At iPolitics, Dennis A. Darby argues to respond to future crises, the manufacturing sector must be reignited. Darby writes, This crisis has shed light on Canada's need for a strong manufacturing sector that can produce what our country needs, especially in times of crisis. It also showed that we must fill the gaps by investing in our manufacturing capacity and making it a priority. Our capacity to produce homegrown vaccines is a case in point and a cautionary tale. It's now time to give manufacturers the tools they need to innovate and increase both our productivity and our global footprint. In an editorial, the Toronto Star argues, Canada and its allies must match words with action in standing up to China. The Star writes, Demonstrating symbolic support for the ordeal undergone by the two Michaels is certainly a good thing. But how much better would it be if the symbolism was matched by actual action? How much more effective would it be if those countries backed up their sentiments by taking concrete steps to show the Chinese government that its strategic hostage-taking will not be tolerated? Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. Following hearings at the Commons Defence Committee... Another committee will begin parliamentary hearings today into allegations of sexual misconduct in the Canadian Armed Forces. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, the Standing Committee on the Status of Women will begin its hearings into the allegations of misconduct and sexual harassment in the forces. They will hear from current Defence Minister Harjit Sajjan, as well as from Lieutenant General Wayne Eyre, who is now the Acting Chief of Defence Staff, after Admiral Art McDonald stepped down to face allegations of sexual misconduct, and after the former Chief of Defence Staff, now retired, Jonathan Vance, saw allegations concerning himself burst into the public domain. 
committee will also hear from Rear Admiral Genevieve Vernaches. She is the Judge Advocate General of the Canadian Forces. And from Dr. Denise Preston, who is the Executive Director of the Sexual Misconduct Response Centre, set up by the Canadian Forces to deal with complaints of assault, harassment and misconduct. So Mark, it could prove to be a very interesting two hours of testimony before that committee today. Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the Secretary General of the United Nations and the Prime Minister of Jamaica to discuss the international response to COVID-19 and financing for development initiatives to address debt and liquidity issues many countries are facing. He will then virtually visit Ayub's Dried Fruits and Nuts in North Vancouver, British Columbia, and then representatives from New Dawn, a social enterprise in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. The Prime Minister will also attend Question Period. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will hold a news conference to discuss the Conservative Opposition Day motion. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet will hold a news conference in Ottawa. Small Business Minister Mary Ng will launch the virtual trade mission to Singapore. And Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibeau will announce investments under the Youth Employment and Skills Program for the Eastern Townships region of Quebec in the agricultural sector. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Tuesday, March 23rd. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.